2: Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast that believes that progressive politics can change the world. I'm Hannah Shah and I'm joined by email supremo and all-around dank meme collector Stefan Rolnick for today's extra show. Stefan, how is the world of the Twitter meme?
3: Yeah, good. Yeah, memes are good. Um, There's plenty of them on the Progress Daily email. So get a quick plug in right now. Go to progressonline.org.uk forward slash email to sign up to that. But yeah, things are good. Nice sunny week here in Westminster with not much going on.
2: No, well, not much. Let's recap what actually has been a very busy week in news. So I have down here, topic one. Topic one I have, troubles in the Labour Party. What a surprise. So last week we launched our Kick Out Chris campaign. What do you think of that, Stefan?
3: Yeah, it was. I mean, obviously, it was another sad week for the Labour Party. I think, you know, we've lost count of the amount of times that we take a look at the news, see these headlines, you get that kind of familiar pit in your stomach where you just kind of think, you know, how much longer can we keep going through this? But I think what this Chris Williamson campaign, and just for the listeners who don't know or haven't been listening recently, the story is that Chris Williamson was readmitted to the Labour Party about a week ago now. And I think it really put to the test the idea whether staying and fighting in the Labour Party is something worth doing. And I know lots of people in the Jewish community have split on this, not in a kind of nasty way, but just in, you know, fair enough, people have different opinions as to whether staying in the Labour Party and making it better is the best thing to do, or whether actually some Jews feel that actually the Labour Party Mm -hmm. can't be saved. What I thought was really interesting about this Chris Williams Williamson saga was that we started our kick out Chris campaign and we saw scores of Labour members, Labour supporters, Labour MPs, Labour front benchers say to the leadership, Actually, this isn't good enough. Mm. We are part of this party too. And we don't feel comfortable with somebody like Chris Williamson in the Labour Party. And it worked. So actually, well, it did start with a pit in my stomach to see that action, to see the Labour leadership withdraw the whip from Mm. Chris Williamson, I thought was a good start. Mm. And I'm actually feeling much more positive this week.
2: So just to give you all a little update on the technical situation, what's happening now, Chris Williamson had been referred to a uh, special group of the NEC disputes panel and they'd essentially said um, that he should be let off with a formal warning and re-admitted to the party. Um, And obviously we've got all the sort of stuff with selections now and there's a case of whether Chris Williamson could be triggered or not and it seems that this is the background to which this is all playing out. And as Stefan said, we saw over the next few days, thousands of you wrote to Jenny Formby, the Labour Party General Secretary. We had a fantastic petition and letter by uh, staffers uh, in Labour HQ and in in Parliament. Another one by Labour councillors and Labour MPs and uh, Jenny Formby took the decision to suspend Chris Williamson again and refer um, him back to the NEC. Now, they're meeting, so to, we're now podcast bunker, so today is Friday. Happy Friday, everyone. The NEC is now meeting on Tuesday uh, to decide what to do next. Now, what we'd like to see is, I don't know if you remember, um, a while ago, Mark Wadsworth was referred to uh, the NCC, which is a... Not a fun football term, it's actually a Labour Party term, it's the National Constitutional Committee, and they're the Labour Party's highest disciplinary organisation. So they're the people who can basically say, You've brought the Labour Party in disrepute, you shouldn't be here anymore. And we want to see Chris Williamson, who ironically was a character witness for Mark Wadsworth at his hearing, taken to the do the same procedures and for this to be taken as seriously as possible. So if you go to kickoutchris.com, you can write to the CLP reps. So they're the uh, members' representatives, formerly known as the hashtag JC9, Yes9, who members voted for to sit on the NEC. And you can tell them that Labour members want us to take anti-Semitism seriously.
3: Yeah, I think I'd actually, you know, caveat my initial optimism on this, which was we saw a Labour List survey earlier this week about chris williamson and more broadly the complaints uh procedure and whether the labour party needs an independence complaints procedure not just for anti-semitism absolutely but for all all forms of racism and sexism one of the things that i think really disappointed me about that survey was that 61 percent of survey respondents said that they wanted williamson to be readmitted to the labour party 74 percent said they wanted an independence complaints process, which strikes me as bizarre, because I think if you do get an independence complaint process, I'm not sure Chris Williamson's being (laughs) readmitted to the Labour Party. So there's a kind of weird crossover there. I mean, 17% said they didn't want an independent complaints process, which just strikes me as completely bizarre. And what I think this comes down to is actually more broader ideological phenomenon partly you know from the corbyn project but also before that which is this failure to educate our members yeah on, on these areas of politics failures to educate our members about the difference between zionism and you know british colonialism and like allowing these things to be conflated in a way that results in these attitudes to seep into the broader membership mm. and for this kind of facilitation of the institutional anti semitism, and you know all these things aren't as simple as you know getting Chris Williamson out of the Labour Party or bringing in the independence complaints procedure, these process mm-hmm. points are important. But actually, I think if we want to see this problem put to bed, we need to start thinking about fundamentally how do we educate our activists to make sure these mm-hmm. lines are never crossed ever again.
2: I think it's a key part, just jumping on that, I know we have to move on, of sort of the tactics of the Labour leadership and actually if we're going to move forward forward, as a party that's united, what we can't do from both sides is isolate specific groups and blame things on them. And we see, actually, it sort of pains me as a sort of female, non-white member of the Labour Party to see it because it's a tactic the right use all the time. They demonize Muslims, they demonize immigrants, they demonize women. And they say, well, that's what the Muslims and the immigrants want. Therefore, we're ranged against them. They're taking our jobs, at X and their Y. And it's exactly the same sort of conspiratorial sense that is allowed to seep into our politics, which is like the capitalists and cahoots of the Jews and it's all ridiculous mm-hmm. and really anti-Semitic. And I, we just can't let that continue. One, because it's racist. And two, because it means that we're not going to do well as a party.
3: Yeah, right. I think that's a kind of fundamental feature of, you know, populism gone wrong which is that it's all about problem, diagnosing the problem. And it's very easy to diagnose a problem and suggest that we tear things down. But actually what's really difficult is talking in a language of building things up and creating something. And in order to build something up and create something, you need to unite loads of different groups, which is what the Labour Party should be. People talk about kind of progressive coalition in Parliament. Well, the progressive coalition already exists and it Mm. is called the Labour Party. (laughs) And if we want to be successful in parliament, in, govern, in government, reversing austerity, fighting the far right, actually what we have to be able to do as a party, and I'm not sure we've quite got there, is to be able to talk about in the language of creation and building and not just in kind of demonisation, mm. which you know does have its place, of course.
2: Speaking of creation, now that's a bit cheesy, but I wanted to move on to talk about Ellie Reeves, mm. who's obviously uh, an MP who's currently pregnant, um, and she actually signed the Chris Williamson letter that was put around by the MPs, angry about his readmission and the returning of the whip, Tim, last week. And it's interesting because I know lots of people at the time said, oh, look, the MPs are being spineless again. They're not really taking action. This is words, not deeds. But actually the fact that she essentially, it looks like people in her local party were making moves to deselect her and she asked the leadership for help because she's five months pregnant. Pregnant women should not be deselected. Mm. That should be you know, she should be on maternity leave soon. And we should respect her right to have a family. I mean, it's part of our Labour values. And it took the leadership days and days and proper outrage from across the parliamentary Labour Party and outside to actually say, yes, we should not deselect pregnant MPs. It shouldn't be triggered. Uh, and I think one that shows that actually how dangerous it is for some MPs at the moment, in that signing this letter clearly Um, and it was specifically referenced in what her local member said. Sorry, do ignore the helicopter we are in Westminster, it's fancy. She was one of the people who signed the letter about Chris Williamson, and it's obviously clear that that had an impact. You know, one, people should not be, MPs should not be threatened by deselection for expressing an opinion about one of their colleagues in that way. I think that's wrong. And two, we should not be letting pregnant people be deselected, that's just ridiculous mm. as well.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the biggest fallacies of this is a conflation between having a serious ideological debate about the direction of the Labour Party in these incredibly chaotic and confusing times, which is definitely a debate that needs to be have had, and the cloaking of just plain and simple bullying under the umbrella of internal democracy. And I think this strikes to a more broader phenomenon which is the kind of twitterization of the labor party which i actually obviously in this case this came from a group of people who were incredibly supportive of chris williamson on the far reaches of the left of the party who were um, the perpetrators of this bullying Mm -hmm. in this case but actually if we're being honest on issues like brexit members of parliament like lisa nandy and caroline flynn people with whom we disagree with on brexit but obviously have a huge amount of time and admiration for are getting vile abuse Mm -hmm. from you know kind of pro-europeans and it just strikes me as bizarre because i saw the pro-european movement you know myself as a, a movement of unity and respect and tolerance and progressive values but i think what we're seeing on all sides is this kind of twitterization of the debate mm. where suddenly bullying and misogyny has just like slowly become more and more and more acceptable and you know we st- we weren't even where we needed to be you know before our politics became this divisive and we're taking all these steps backwards and i think the concern for me is you've got young people looking at the way this debate is playing out and you've got amazing people the kind of people who need to be told to step up and make their voice heard because they don't see enough people like themselves mm. in politics. They're going to take one look at this and they're going to run a mile. And, and and who can blame them? So I think this isn't just a disappointing day for the Labour Party. I think it's a disappointing day for people who want to see all voices represented in politics.
2: No, absolutely. And I'd say one more thing and that I think we very much are all here and everyone in the Labour Party is here. Well, and say almost everyone, not naming any names, is here because we have a set of common values that we agree with and that we think we should run the country based on those things, right? We think we should have legislation that means we, ha- we live in a fair, equal society where everyone can get on and everyone can live together in peace and harmony, kumbaya, etc. Um, kumbaya, <laughs> etc. Kumbaya, kumbaya etc. <laughs> um, but what upset me quite a lot was with Ellie Reeves's case, I would expect that no matter what the factional sort of divisions there were that front benches and female front benches would stand up for her. Um and it really disappointed me to see people like Dawn Butler, who's obviously the equalities minister, stay silent. Um and when the you know Tom Watson props to him, Don Ashworth props to him as well, uh for standing up for her. And fantastic that they've both been allies, but this does make this You cannot make the issue of a pregnant woman being deselected a factional one because it's just not. And I think what we need to make sure we don't do on both sides is put sort of political expediency above those values. Because as you say, there are people looking on and they're saying, oh, well, now we're using, we're weaponizing pregnant people, we're weaponizing Jews, we're weaponizing X and Y. Actually, it's not about weaponization at all. It's about, you know, having a party that does the things that we want it to do. Moving on to, um, not a cheery story, uh, Labour in the polls. Today it came out that we are doing badly. Where are we, Stefan?
3: Well, you say Labour in the polls and I guess, you know, the way things are going in the trajectory, we're on the fact that we're in the polls at all, I guess, has to be considered a victory. We've recorded our joint worst polling in recorded history, which is 18% which has us in fourth place in the polls, obviously behind the Conservative Party in first, then the Brexit Party in second, I think, and the Lib Dems in third. I might have that wrong. But anyway, we're in fourth place and we are um, tied with where we are when we were in government in 2009 during the global financial crisis. So obviously not a great place to be. People are obviously looking... I mean, this guy
2: was literally falling (laughs) at that point. Let's just remember the fact that Gordon Brown was literally... And great for him, obviously, I'm a Gordon Brown fan, everyone knows this, but actually saving the global financial system is what was having to happen there.
3: I mean, lots of people have been looking around for explanations for this, and this is, like you said with the previous issue, something that quite often falls on factional lines for explanations. And the truth is, there's loads of different explanations. We've seen some great research from Matthew Goodwin about the broader breakdown of the two-party system. But let's be honest, if we're talking about, you know, for example, in the Ellie Reeves case, the anti-Semitism case, one of the things that those two cases have in common is that, Our party is not getting out in front of these issues and leading on them. It's constantly playing catch up with them. And obviously the other main issue that we're playing catch up on is Brexit. And the polling does show that the parties that aren't taking a clear position on Brexit are being punished. So disappointed? Yes. Surprised? Unfortunately, no.
2: Okay. And the last thing I want to mention, I feel like I keep going, and another one but one. <laughs> I knew you'd say that it wasn't set up at all um, that the analysis that came off this is also something about we love talking about it Brexit 25% of Remain voters say that they'll now back Labour that's compared with 40% at the end of April and 48% at the start of the year so we've seen a dropping off and we saw it during the European and local elections a dropping off of Remain support and not just Remain support we know that the um, Leadership has said that our current uh, Brexit policy of constructive ambiguity, a.k.a. fence-sitting, is to essentially maintain a leave-remain coalition, but we've also been abandoned by leavers. So only 8% of leavers back our Labour Party, and that's down from 21% in January. So just as Matthew Goodwin said, um, mm. we are hemorrhaging people on both wings by failing to take a position,
1: which
2: is yeah. absolutely classic. A, a
3: leave-remain coalition without leave or remain. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's just us in the middle.
3: Just a so, coalition of nothing. Um,
2: let's talk about our other favourite subject, which is, drama, please, the Tory leadership. Boris Johnson's been up to his usual tricks. He's been talking about sin. Well, no, more specifically, sin taxes. Uh, what's he been saying?
3: Well, thankfully, we haven't got onto the religious part stage of the Tory leadership debate, which I'm sure is, you know, coming along further and down, further down the line. This issue um, is actually quite a simple one. So, Boris Johnson has taken aim at sin taxes, which is like the favourite punch bag of. The Sun newspaper, for example. And syntaxes are essentially levies on products that have extreme negative health impacts. So sugar, alcohol, tobacco. Boris Johnson, and you know, this is a classic thing that the hard economic right always try to do, have framed this issue through the lens of choice and giving people more choice over what they what they want to eat, what they want to drink, what they want to smoke. Obviously, there is only one option of what to smoke in the United Kingdom, but you know, drug reform is an issue for another day. Um, let's be like really clear about this the people who this benefits are everyday consumers who are buying food off the shelves shelves in their local supermarkets the people the people who will be negatively affected by sugar taxes and have been negatively affected by sugar taxes and alcohol taxes and taxes on tobacco are big corporations so surprise surprise Johnson in a big shock to everyone has decided to put himself on the side of big corporations through the guise of being a man of the people and you know mm. the world keeps spinning on its axis
2: and there is a little um, interesting point about that and we think about what a johnson-led government might mean in terms of being open to corporate lobbying will walden who works in his campaign team uh used to work at edelman uh, and one of their or is on works at edelman and uh one of their biggest clients is coca-cola mm. and i think there's a lovely little Synergy there Mm. uh, with the interests of Boris Johnson and the interests of, you know, Coca-Cola and Big Sugar, as it were. Mm. But to be less conspiratorial about it, actually, I was on the bus this morning, and um, I don't know if you've seen Cancer Research UK's new um, Mm. ad campaign. It's really powerful. Um, It has a big cigarette packet, and it basically says, Obesity Kills. Mm. And it's true, something like... sugar tax and their campaign is to basically end junk food marketing to children and obviously we know the impact that that can have and the impact that has on predominantly the poorest children in our society people whose parents work lots of jobs um, don't have time to cook them like very healthy home-cooked food they're the people who are most susceptible to this and they're the people that are gonna suffer the most and die early as a result of it and these are the people who stuff like the sugar tax protects. And we need to remember that, I think.
3: I mean, you know, all of the negative policy implications of all of the policies that the Tories have come up with in their leadership contest aside, all of this conversation is complete fantasy. You know, we're talking about what colour the curtain's going to be when we don't have enough concrete for the foundations. The point is, Brexit <laughs> is a complete fantasy that the next prime minister is going to be defined by anything other than Brexit. The best case scenario is that Boris Johnson or Jeremy Hunt are able to get Theresa May's deal over the line, which is still a you know a really bad deal, and they can attempt to try and build some legacy after that. The worst case scenario, and I think you know the most likely one, is that you know they're they're either going to be responsible for No Deal and responsible for one of the worst economic crises this country has seen for quite a long time, or they're going to get absolutely you know nailed in a general election and be remembered for being you know not even making it to the Gordon Brown number of days in Number Ten. So I just think. This, whilst incredibly troubling and very revealing about the state of the current Conservative Party, actually it's not very illuminating about where we go next.
2: No. And um, we saw Jeremy Hunt try to one up him with a weird fox hunting thing. It's like, welcome to, oh, you see here, welcome to 1999.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, we're running out of time to talk about this, yeah. but I think, you know, the, the, the listeners can make up their minds on fox hunting because I think that, I'm pretty sure that debate's been settled.
2: I mean, it's been settled everywhere, apart from in the Tory Party membership. I saw a fun little thing that I think just last year, Boris Johnson, despite Was Boris Johnson, please check my facts on this, um, accepted a donation from the Master of the Isle of Wight Hunt.
3: <laughs> wow!
2: <laughs> so there you go. There so sh- is a.
3: Just before we finish, we quickly foxy. talk about <laughs> speaking of getting foxy, Claire Fox is a. <laughs> that's a great segue. Is a uh, member of the Brexit Party. Should we quickly just discuss? what the brexit party got up to on their little school trip i to love Salzburg.
2: discussing what the brexit party does it's always far more childish than you'd expect hit me
3: <laughs> so they were they went to the opening of the european parliament obviously behaved immaculately as they planned to do no of course they went to the european parliament and turned their backs as o oh, to joy the european <laughs> union's national anthem that was <laughs> uh, was was played in the opening of parliament i mean aside from being incredibly childish and the childishness of one of the MPs who posted a video on MEPs, sorry for the Brexit party, who posted a video on Twitter seemingly outraged at the idea that he had to commute. I mean, it's the most bizarre thing. I think the take home message for me is looking at that image of those MEPs embarrassing us on the global stage, just said to me, elections have consequences. And if anyone you know is in any doubt of elections, whether elections have consequences, just show that, get that picture framed and give it to them for their birthday. Because I think that is a perfect metaphor. I mean, unfortunately, it's real life for how consequential these elections, especially in our divided politics right now. Are.
2: Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to stop there because time has run away with us.
3: Okay, well, go and watch Anne Widdicombe's speech if you can, because it is depressing. As it is hilarious.
2: I mean, it is Anne Widdicombe. I would Forgive you if you had more important things to do, like washing your hair. Um, but if you are or aren't going to watch her speech, please go to kickoutchris.com and write to the NEC reps. Share this and the campaign with your friends. Please, please, please. We will love you for it. And subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, it's Friday, so we will see you on
0: Tuesday, won't we? Yep, see you there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom.
2: You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was One in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks for our fantastic and long suffering producer, Caroline Crampton.